Welcome back to AUENV233, the Dirt on Soils podcast. This is episode two and deals with soil organisms, slides 29 through 47. And if you have a version of the presentation that doesn't have slide numbers, go and re-download it from eClass because I've re-uploaded it with slide numbers. So the first thing we're going to do here is finish up with macro and megafauna. And again, these are the organisms that are greater than two millimeters found in the soil. And the first ones on slide 31 are the isopoda, also known as woodlice or pillbugs. Um, you'll see them lots of places under rotted out wood, and you can find them in probably everyone's backyard in, in Camrose. It's really interesting because they tend to curl up, and curling up is a defense reaction in pillbugs against predators and drought. Isopods are omnivorous, and they feed on decaying organic matter, such as dead vegetation, but they'll also eat carrion, and they're used uh, really interestingly to help clean many museum skeletal specimens. A really interesting example of a macroarthropod is found on slide 32. These are cicadas, and interestingly, they participate in both above and below ground parts of terrestrial ecosystems. So for cicadas, they live in the soil 99% of the time. They are not above ground. Cicadas are interesting because they have a 17-year cycle. So basically, they only spend one week above ground before dying, and the other previous 16 years and 53 weeks are all below ground. Um, and it's really interesting because we do have spe cicada species around here. It's the most northerly cicada in the world. You can find it up into the Northwest Territories. And the outcome of this cicada pulse could be an increased amount of nutrients. And you might see it as an increased growth of trees or increases in deer and squirrel numbers, which feed on cicadas, both alive and dead. Again, more evidence of the connected web between below and above ground soil organisms. So now we're going to move into the mesofauna, and these are organisms that are range in size between 100 micrometers and 2 millimeters. Recall that as we get smaller, we actually know less and less about the populations, the biodiversity of any of these species. There was an extensive review done in 2002 that reported that at most 10% of soil microarthropod populations had been explored and 10% of those species described. So there's a lot of unknowns here. So the first order we're looking here at here are the columbula, otherwise known as the springtails. They eat plant litter, fungi, bacteria, nematodes, and they're really an important link between the microfauna and the macrofauna, so in terms of that food web perspective. They're worldwide in distribution. They occur in all biomes from tropic to arctic, forest, grassland, desert, and throughout the soil profile. They can often reach abundances of 100,000 or more per square meter. Their major diet appears to be fungi, associated with decaying vegetation, but they can be very opportunistic, so they can be both a prey and predator. The second really important group of organisms are the mites. These are related to spiders in the class Arachnida and form their own subclass called Akari. They're very widespread, up to 500 mites per 100 grams of soil, and they can feature up to 100 different genera of mites. And so, as you can imagine, they have large numbers, but a huge amount of diversity. They're case-selected, which is really interesting because that means they have slow reproduction and don't necessarily respond directly to environmental inputs. Mites occupy a range of niches, and there are four major orders that we will discuss. Slide 36 reveals characteristic members of each of these orders. The first order is the orbitids. These are characteristic mites of the soil, and usually fungivorous or detritivorous, sometimes even predatory on soil nematodes. 
They're the most numerous of the microarthropods, and this is what you would see the most of if you were to conduct a count. The mesostigmatids mites are nearly all predators on other small fauna. The astigmatine mites are found associated with rich decomposing nitrogen sources and are seldom abundant except in agricultural soils. And the prostigmata contains a broad diversity of mites with a variety of feeding habitats and strategies. Slide 37 reveals an interesting table that looks at variations across these four orders of soil mites. And so here we're looking at densities. So this is the number of mites per meter squared of soil and looking at different forest types or different environments really. Secondary shrub forest, deciduous forest, coniferous plantation, mixed forest, subalpine meadows. What I like to ask here is what do you notice about these numbers? What you can see is that the columbola and uribatida orders are much larger numbers than the prostigmata and mesostigmata. And that's because of the different roles that these mites play. Prostigmata and mesostigmata tend to be predators, and so they have lower numbers um, because they require more inputs and less number of predators than prey can exist in an ecosystem. If we think about an equivalent, the African savanna, then we have many less lions than we do wildebeest. So an important question to ask is how do they collect that data? How do they count the number of mites in a given soil? And the answer is that they use a Berlinese funnel. Um, and this is actually something you could even do at home if you wanted to. You can get a sample of soil and all you're gonna do is use a light bulb to warm up the surface of the soil and drive arthropods downwards through a funnel into a waiting vat of alcohol. And there you can preserve them. You can screen for certain numbers. So same way that we screen for certain soil particles, we can screen for macro or mesofauna. Another interesting mesofauna are the tardigrades, or what they're commonly called water bears. They feed on algal cells and debris and moss, but have also been observed to feed voraciously on nematodes. Interestingly, they're almost impossible to kill. Uh, water bears have been known to withstand temperatures as low as minus 272 degrees Celsius and as high as 150 degrees Celsius. They can actually be kept dry in a state of suspended animation for many years or even decades. And they're actually considered an ideal model organism for examining the effects of microgravity and other space-related stressors on multicellular organisms. So the next time that you want to become an astronaut, think that they're basing some of that research on these water bears. Our final soil organism grouping is the microflora and microfauna. And again, these are organisms that are under 100 micrometers in size. First group is the nematodes. Nematodes have huge numbers in the soil and if you look closely, they actually border between micro and mesofauna. They can be a little bit larger, but most of them are smaller. These are also known as roundworms. They primarily inhabit water films or water-filled pore spaces in soils. Again, the most numerous metazoa, millions of nematodes per meter squared of soil, and they exist across all trophic levels. So bacterial feeders, fungal feeders, plant feeders, um, predators, and omnivores. And the key to understanding nematodes is to look at their mouth parts. Because from their mouth parts, you can tell what kind of niche they fill in the soil ecosystem. Slide 42 reveals several of these different nematode mouth parts and what they are functioning for. So we can see bacterial feeding, plant feeding, and predators. And to drive home the relative numbers of the different organisms we've discussed, there is a comparison graph on slide 43. And here we can really kind of see the number of ants, the number of isopods, beetles, so some of these macro 
invertebrates, um, the earthworms. But what you really do see are that the springtails, the mites, and the nematodes to a huge part make up a huge amount of the biodiversity that we find in our soil in terms of total numbers. And really notice that the thousands per square meter really increases for nematodes and that the scale is broken there and it's up to 120 million per meter squared for nematodes. And again, it's important to consider what management effects have on soil organisms. And so here on slide 44, we're looking at tillage effects on soil organisms between a conventional tilling and no tillage agroecosystem. In this graphic, what we're interested in are the numbers and we can look at the CT column, which is our conventional tillage, and our NT column, which are no tillage. And the researchers here have broken organisms into their various groups, including nematodes, microarthropods, macroarthropods, and annelids. What we see are that some groups go up and some go down, but this really alters the food web dynamics in this soil ecosystem. For example, under nematodes, we can see there's a decrease in bacteriovorous nematodes under no tillage, but an increase in fungivores and herbivores. Additionally, under microarthropods, we can see that there's a large increase in the number of mites, columbula, and insects. So the question becomes, why would these numbers change under this new management system? And really, with no tillage, what's happening is that we're keeping a lot of plant residue above ground, um, and that availability of plant residue both as habitat and at food source changes how these organisms interact in this environment. Now we're going to move on to discuss our protozoa. There are four major ecological groups of the protozoa. So we have flagellates, naked amoeba, testaceans, and ciliates. These are often found in water, but usually require moisture to move. And it's these movement parts that really define what type of protozoa you have. Almost all protozoa feed on dissolved organic material and other organisms. And many are actually bacterial feeders. They can consume hundreds to thousands of bacterial cells per hour. And this actually makes them interesting because they stimulate microbial activity. They act like the deer or bison did on the plains where they chew off the top parts of the grass and stimulate more vegetative reproduction. And so what we're seeing here is protozoa acting as grazers stimulating microbial activity in the soil. The importance of this stimulation is that it actually may accelerate decomposition by having more protozoa you maintain young, active bacterial communities instead of letting many of the bacteria get older where maybe they don't consume as much or break down as many plant residues. And finally, slide 47 provides some evidence of tracking of protozoa numbers after a rainfall. And we see the rainfall episode happens on the 7th of September, and directly we see a spike in bacteria numbers following that rainfall event. What we can also observe is that prior to this rainfall event, there were very low numbers or no protozoa visible in the soil, either the amoeba or the flagellates. But after this rainfall event, we see a significant increase in the amoeba, um, which are known and voracious predators of bacteria. And their increase matches a decrease in bacteria numbers. So what we are seeing here is this grazing activity. And that concludes the second episode of AUENV233 Dirt on Soils podcast. See you next time.